0: Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays with the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening. To Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there, and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. Hello there, and welcome to another episode. So this week I'm going to be doing a review on the book Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. Now, as you may be able to hear, I am recording in my car. Don't worry everyone, I've been safe. Press record before turning the engine on or anything like that, or putting the keys in, and then using post-production magic to cut out the start and then the inevitable end, because obviously I can't stop recording until the car has stopped and the engine has been turned off. But. This is going to be a starting off as a spoiler-free book review, much like most of my other book reviews are, and then as we go on, I'll give ample warning, and then I'll give more spoilers as we go on, and then towards the end of the review, I'll give a general overview of the book's plot and some other important things about it as well. So it'll start off spoiler-free, I'll give you plenty of warning, and then I'll delve into some spoilery things, but you will have warning of that. So starting off with the book, it centers around uh, Lando Calrissian, Luke Skywalker, and Ochi of Bestoon, as well as Rey, but not in the way one may think, it's actually Rey's parents, Dathan and Miramir, and so it's them trying to escape the Sith, trying to hide from Ochi of Bestoon, and trying to protect their daughter. So that's going on while Luke is looking into some weird and wonderful artifacts, And that is all happening while Lando tries to search for Ochi of Vestun because this is only a few years after he has lost his daughter. As in she was seemingly taken from him in the Rise of Skywalker and the Visual Dictionaries and stuff. I think it's hinted at that she was taken by the First Order and sort of turned into a First Order trooper. But I'm not overly sure on that one. I think it's meant to be fairly ambiguous. But that's the general plot, and it's they're set around I think it's about six or seven years before uh, the Force Awakens. Um, it's oh, six or seven? No, she's more than that. Sorry, it's about ten to thirteen years. So it's over halfway between Return of the Jedi and the Force Awakens. Like it's over halfway between those two points, and it is several years after what we're seeing in the Mandoverse You know, or Mandalorian series two and. Book of Oba Fair, and I'm sure a so-called tap into it as well but the book itself as a review I absolutely loved it I thought it was absolutely fantastic I think a lot of people online have shared similar thoughts on it but it's one of the best books in the new canon I'd say if we exclude the High Republic stuff I'd say is up there with Lost Stars and probably Master and Apprentice I mean to me I love the Aftermath trilogy uh, by Chuck Wendig but I know a lot of people don't like Chuck Wendig's writing style, so. but I think the plot, I mean I didn't have a problem with Chuck Wendig's writing style, but I think the plot of Aftermath and, and stuff is absolutely excellent, so I find that this is in the amidst the top of the canon novels. I think if people like Legends, they'll quite enjoy this, because there's a lot of Sith intrigue, there's some cool artifacts, some cool uh, technology and other stuff that comes into it, which I think... Is what this current canon is missing quite a lot of is the ancient Sith, is like dark side force powers, is cool, strange, weird artifacts. Like we're getting a little bit of that in Dr. Aphra, especially with this current run with uh, Alyssa Wong, where still we get to stuff to do with the Ascendant, uh, which obviously go if you want to find out more information about that. You need to check out my Afra episodes, and also the War of the Bounty Hunters episodes, and also the Crimson Rain episodes, uh, because all of those episodes have got the Afra comics within them. Uh, so I'll try and remember to make a mention of it in the description. But yeah, my Dr. Afra episodes—you can find out all about her looking into the Ascendant technology and stuff. Um, but back to Shadow the Sith. So the book itself—I I was a bit sceptical when it was announced. It when it was announced, I was like, oh, we're going to basically be seeing what Luke and Lando are, ha- are doing around 10 years before The Force Awakens. And also we're going to be following Rey's parents as they try and evade the Sith. And I was just like, well, I know that the a lot of the books in the current canon are building off stuff that already exists. And The High Republic is the kind of book which is meant to be an original, clever, interesting story that doesn't have a huge amount of connections to the Skywalker saga. I know there are other books like The Force Collector that centre around a different uh, protagonist and so they could kind of have more freedom to them. Lost Stars is not dissimilar. But a lot of canon books recently have just been almost add-ons to pre-existing content. A lot of it for the sequel trilogy novels have been seemingly trying to plot uh, fill the plot hole in certain ways. Not that there's necessarily a problem with that because that's what Star Wars is all about. You know, Rogue One is considered one of the best uh, Star Wars movies, even you know, in or out of the Disney canon. It's considered one of the best Star Wars movies. But it's just a giant plot hole filler. It's just to try and fill up the plot of how a massive space station owned by the Empire could so easily be destroyed, you know. So, Star Wars has always done the plot hole filling. But I was a bit unsure. I was just like, do we need more Luke stuff? Um, I love Lando, so I'm always happy to hear from him. Uh, and then I was like, Ray's parents. I was like, yeah, when watching The Rise of Skywalker and the, the general sequel trilogy, I was never like, you know who I need mean more of? Ray and her parents. Like, I never thought that. I, I never saw the parents and gone, you know, they're the characters we need a book about. But I was very pleasantly surprised how they were used. And I think this book really helps The Rise of Skywalker. I recently rewatched The Rise of Skywalker, so myself and Megan will be releasing our review of that over on uh, the Genuine Chit Chat Patreon, because we've done reviews for all the other Star Wars movies we just had for uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So we rewatched that recently, and I enjoyed it more than I have done previously. I still don't think it's a bad movie. I still enjoy it. I love it because it's Star Wars. I think it's really fun. I just think there are some quite glaring plot issues, but I'll get to that in my review. Um, but what I did find is. The first half of the movie is really improved once you've read Shadow of the Sith. Because just the stuff with Ochi of Bastoon and Ray's parents is a lot more detailed. And when you meet uh, Lando on, I think it's uh, Pascina or something. No, Pascina. It's something like Pascina. I can't remember the exact planet name. Um, But with Lando, when you find him and he's like, oh, I don't fly anymore, blah, blah, blah it just seems a bit of a cop-out you're like oh it's Lando oh he's on this random planet oh he's not flying and then suddenly he's at the resistance base and then he does decide to fly and you're like what why did you say he wouldn't fly if in like the next couple of scenes you're seen in you're seen flying the most iconic ship in all of Star Wars like what what are you doing um it makes a lot more sense I still I still think the way Lando was used in The Rise of Skywalker was pretty weak and that he should have been in the sequel trilogy earlier and that He should have had more to do in the Rise of Skywalker. But, you know, lots of characters should have more to do. Finn, for example, should have had more to do in the Rise of Skywalker. But this is not a Rise of Skywalker review. Sorry, I keep going off on that. But Shadow of the Sith really helped Lando's character in that part. And we got a bit of Luke at his sort of prime, which is cool. You get to have some action scenes with him, uh, which is nice, because that was one of the big complaints of the sequel trilogy, is you get essentially Grandmaster Luke, which is what people loved in Legends, but he's... Close himself off of the force and doesn't really want to fight or do anything. Uh, so, which I understand that criticism of the *Last Jedi*. I personally love it and I think it it really works with the plot and it makes sense to his character. But equally, it's like yeah, I do want to see a badass Luke. So, I understand that kind of criticism to a degree. But the book itself, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's written really well. It's, I think it's written really well. Uh, the pacing is good. Uh, there's a sort of now and then parts of flashbacks flash forward and i think they're they're done very well and i just i think this is one of the best written books because not only is it written very well but the the adam christopher really understands the characters it feels and i listened to the audible version or the penguin random house audible production what however you want to do i listened to the audiobook so it has a, a narrator now i hadn't heard of this narrator before and i'll make sure I put his name in the description because I can't remember it at this time, but it's not the usual, you know, it's not Jonathan Davis or Mark Thompson as it has been in a lot of other audiobooks and I really like this guy I saw a couple of people online uh, saying that they didn't like him as much, which really confused me because I thought he was absolutely fantastic, I loved his uh, narration, I loved how much effort he put in, and I loved the voices he did, I mean he, the voice he gives to Ochi Bestoon is incredible, and I think it works really well, and then his Lando and Luke impressions are really, really good, especially his Lando. Incredible. And another thing I really appreciate is it, it seems very clear that Adam Christopher has been reading Star Wars comics and consuming the Expanded Star Wars content, as in the stuff outside just the movies and even just outside of the uh, animated shows as well, uh, and live action, of course. But one of the things that I really liked is... There are lots of connections to other content, which I'll get into more of them when I give my more spoilery review. But just reading it throughout, I was like, when there was a bit mentioned and I was thinking, oh, they're not going to mention this bit because it's too much of an obscure reference. And then one of the characters mentioned it and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a point where Lando and Luke are talking about uh, artifacts and Sith artifacts and things. And then Lando mentions the Mask of Momin now, the Mask of Moment, if you don't read comics, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you saw it in the Lando miniseries written by Charles Saul, that, and I tackle that on the Styles Comics in Canon. Um, with the Lando series, he finds the Mask of Moment on like a, one of Palpatine's pleasure yachts, and then it uh, possesses someone, and Lando has to try and use his wits to get away from it, basically. And then Moment appears again in the Darth Vader 2017 comics, you, which are some of the best Star Wars comics in existence, I think. So they're written by Charles Saul, once again. Uh, they're 20... I think it's 20 issues. It might be 25 issues, actually. But they, the last arc of it, I think it's called Fortress Vader, it's about seven issues long. It is absolutely incredible. It's how Vader made his Fortress of Mustafa. And the Mask of Mobin, it plays quite a major role in that. And so... The fact that Lando mentions Momin after like one incursion with it, but Momin has, it's also been elsewhere in the canon, but because of that, and then Lando just doing an offhand comment, I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about. So there's also moments like that, like there's a character that Luke comes into contact with or mentions that's in the comics. There's, there's lots of little references to comics to really, really enjoy, and I'll delve into those in a bit, but it, it was one of those books that I really felt rewarded for reading as a Star Wars comic fan especially. And especially where I've been reading so many styles comics that perhaps I wouldn't have picked up if I wasn't doing this show, that I wouldn't have picked up on other things. That like one of the characters is in a certain comic series that I wouldn't have picked up unless I was doing a podcast because they didn't initially intrigue me that much. So I think this book really would speak out to people if you're a fan of the original trilogy and if you like the sequel trilogy but you found it's maybe a bit lackluster, you want a bit more. It really helps bridge the gap between those two trilogies. I I think that. Adam Christopher really knew what he was doing going into this, because I think that it would have been very easy to misstep and to make it weak. But there are new characters in this that I really, really like. The imagery used in the uh, text of this book, and obviously when it was read out, is amazing. The action scenes are fun. There's a lot of, uh, obviously, good and clever references, but I was surprised how emotionally invested I was at certain points, especially when you get information about Lando and his kid, because it's kind of just as like an offhand comment in the rise of skywalker at least that's how i kind of felt about it and i watch it again it's like oh yeah he's sad he's lost his daughter but he only really mentions it like twice and obviously Lando doesn't really have that much dialogue or that much to do in the rise of skywalker so when he mentions it it's like oh he lost his daughter that sucks but then you find out so much more about it and it's so much more emotional but it's the same with Rey's parents. Like, Miramir and Dathan. Like, they're really interesting characters. And they're really interesting people. And hearing about their history and how they met and their journey with Ray, and, and things that are going through their minds, it was really good, really emotional. And it's the kind of thing that I really want from Star Wars, but although I don't always think of it as a top priority. And it's one of the things that I love so much about Claudia Gray's Lost Stars, is that I didn't go into that book hoping for romance or a emotional beated story but you read Lost Stars and it is emotional it's really really well written and that takes a lot of skill to write in especially in the Star Wars universe because it's so easy to be just kind of like pew 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 and crazy stuff going on and super weapons and miss out on the emotional beats that are very important like in Return of the Jedi Luke's confrontation with Vader is a very emotional thing even though in the special edition they've tried to <laughs> ruin it somewhat by adding Vader yelling no in it but aside from that when Luke is fighting Vader, it's it's really touching and it really means a lot in a lot of ways. And it, it hits hard. And I think that's what Shadows of the Sith Shadow of the Sith does really well too. So overall, brilliant story, one of the best in the canon. If you like legends or dark side stuff, you'll really, really enjoy this, and it really helps, I think, the rise of Skywalker. I, I think it really strengthens that movie, which is what we're gonna find over the next coming years. There's gonna be more and more content released that's gonna make Rise of Skywalker better like in the 2020 run of Darth Vader comics there is already a plot line which has done that to a degree, Vader goes to Exegol and it is a really really interesting uh, plot line it's a bit off the wall, a bit weird there's a couple of moments in it that maybe don't land quite as well but the overall plot and what happens to it because of the lore really really interesting stuff so that was my spoiler-free thought, so now I'm going to delve into a little bit more spoilery territory. I'm still not going to fully spoil it yet, but I'm, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about things. So another element I liked about this was it starts off with Luke, who is at his Jedi Academy. Um, it confirms what planet it's on, I can't remember for the life of me which one it is, uh, but it is in the book. But Luke's there and uh, Ben Solo's there, he's like a teenager, just training up. And thinks he's obviously Luke's Padawan. And there are other younglings and helpers at the Jedi Order that Luke has made. And it's nice seeing Luke interact with Ben and his kind of internal thoughts and how he feels about it all. Which I really enjoyed that as well. And you can kind of see with Luke, him between the end of uh, Return of the Jedi and him in The Last Jedi. Like, not as much potentially as I would have liked But I think The Last Jedi does illustrate that Luke, when he tries to strike down Ben Solo in his sleep, that's like the pivotal moment where Luke sort of changes from being that mentor, the legend, Luke Skywalker, all that stuff, he realises that he's just a man and that kind of shatters him in a lot of ways and obviously that is one of his biggest failings, that's kind of the catalyst for him going into exile, so... I understand that they couldn't do too much around that because if you started to show him to crack and then that event happened, it wouldn't have as much weight behind it. But I found that Luke's character writing was really good and also a character that pops up. And once again, this is right at the start, so it's not a spoiler or anything is Law San Tekka. Now, Law San Tekka, to most people who enjoy Star Wars, they won't really have any idea who he is. He's just this old dude who appears in The Force Awakens like a little bit, but if you've been reading the comics and stuff, then he is actually quite a major character in relevance to how, in regard to how important he is. So, at the start of The Force Awakens, you get that old dude that Poe meets, and he gives Poe a map to Luke Skywalker and he's on, um, he's on Jakku when that all happens, and then obviously gets killed by Kylo Ren, but he knows who Kylo Ren is. So in the comics, The Rise of Kylo Ren, written by Charles Saul, which are excellent, it's a four-part miniseries, really, really good, it shows that Luke, Lor San and Ben Solo used to travel the galaxy and search for artefacts and go to Jedi temples and places like that, before Luke started off his uh, new Jedi order. So you got a degree of sort of their history there in those comics, but then you get even more information with Law in this. So you get Law and Luke at the start are together. Uh, we not that they get they meet up at the start and they go on like a little adventure and stuff. And it's quite interesting because Law Santek has basically become the basically the number one person in the galaxy who knows things about ancient Force stuff, be it either the ancient Jedi or the ancient Sith, or if it's like certain cults and things involved with the force he knows about artifacts and temples and all kinds of really really cool stuff that no one else seems to really know about and i think it's because when obviously palpatine rose to power and the empire came to be he basically just went around and destroyed almost all force sensitive artifacts and etc so anyone studying the force they had to abandon their studies and there's uh, things in comics where people have been studying the force for a long time then the empire just pop up and then Suddenly you just can't study it anymore. And so there's lots of examples in the canon, and I know it happens in Legends, but obviously he's trying to stick to canon here, is that Palpatine just erased Force users almost completely from the public uh, thoughts, from public records, really just the fact that the Jedi existed and were bad is all that Palpatine really wanted people to know. And he just hoarded all important and interesting artifacts, either from Jedi or Sith or elsewhere, so, with someone like Law Santeca, he became the, defa- the de facto expert, not because he wasn't already very knowledgeable, but because there were no experts left. So many people sort of died or were killed or had to abandon their studies and things. So, Laura is such an interesting character, and it's interesting seeing the role where Luke goes to Law Santeca as a mentor sort of thing, as in, Lore is like a mentor to Luke, because A, he's older, which does help, but also that, Lore just seems to know a lot more about the Force than Luke does, even though he can't necessarily touch the Force, as he calls it. He's not specifically Force-sensitive, but he can still, he knows a lot of things about the Force, and the various groups that follow the Force, and some of their powers and air quotes and things. So it's really interesting having Luke go to Lore Santeca with questions about the Force, having a degree of a mentor, because obviously, Luke is the ultimate master. You know, in Legends, he was just all-knowing, basically. But in the canon, they have seemed to have tapered him off a little bit. So uh, that's a really interesting part that I really enjoyed as well about uh, law San and things. And then, I already sort of mentioned Luke and his Jedi Order, and it's nice to kind of see him around with, you know, a young Ben Solo only a few years before his fall. And... How Luke is kind of as a master, and some of Luke's internal thoughts—you know, how he feels about Ben a little bit, how he feels about being this master, him kind of struggling to be this all-powerful, the the legend that he he calls himself in the Last Jedi. You know, when he says about it's hard being like, this legend, this infallible legend in essence. You can kind of see those elements coming in, and, and, and how people react when they either see Luke Skywalker or when they know he's a Jedi. People just treat him completely differently, and he's got all of this. Huge amount of weight behind it and expectation and things, and it's very interesting seeing the state of the galaxy at this point as well because the First Order isn't mentioned um, and it's just the Sith Eternal and things like that because it's to do with Exegol a little bit and whatnot. But the First Order aren't really mentioned, so you've got the state of the galaxy, you know, about ten or so years before the Force Awakens, where things are seemingly being okay, but obviously there are still problems, but. As with all times, like even at the best time of the Republic, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be crime lords and smuggling and all kinds of other stuff going on. So it's one of those things where it is... (laughs) I'm in two minds about this sort of content, because there's the sequel era content, which I do enjoy it, but a lot of it just seems to be kind of helping bolster up the trilogy. But on the same token, you know, I love the prequels, but the prequels are heavily flawed as well. And it's only really until the Clone Wars came in and then some of the associated canon works go into that that people really started appreciating the prequels a lot more. There is some Legends content like uh, James Lucino's works, uh, Darth Plagueis and Cloak of Deception, which are held in quite high regard. And I know that there's also like Labyrinth of Evil, which was the original business on I've obviously the new business being in the book Brotherhood, which I also did a review on a few weeks ago, I think, or a couple months back. But I think this book just does a really good job of standing on its own. It doesn't feel like it's trying to fill plot holes of the sequel trilogy. It doesn't feel like it's Like, a corporately forced book to come out. It just sounds like the author, Adam Christopher, had a really cool idea, wanted to incorporate some ancient Sith stuff into it, and he went and did it. And he just made it work so, so well. And another thing I found very interesting about this book, still keeping mildly spoiler-free, is that there's new characters that are involved, which I really... Enjoyed. You've got Ray's parents, Miramir and Dathan, who are introduced in like the first couple of chapters, I think. And you know, they're mentioned in, in the blurb and stuff, so people know they're involved in this book. And so I I liked them because although technically speaking they're not new characters, we saw them for such a brief second in The Rise of Skywalker. They really are new characters, you know. And seeing about them and who they are and how that kind of forms who Ray is is really interesting as well. And also, there's another character. I think her name is uh, Cormat. Is that a Cormac or Cormat? Something similar to that. And the reason I don't know her name specifically is because I listen to an audiobook and obviously normally a normal book you'd read it I'd make a note of the name and blah 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 but because it's an audiobook I didn't know the spelling specifically but she is someone who used to be a dark side user that Luke brought to the light and to my understanding at the moment we don't have that story it just gets referenced in this and maybe we'll never get that story which is fine but her character is really really interesting as well there's just a lot of layers to this book that I found were really really interesting and for such a, a premise that on the surface, sounded so simple. You know, Ray's parents escape the Sith, while Luke and Lando somehow get involved. You know, that doesn't sound that exciting. But I was really, really surprised about how good this book was, how good the writing is. And I think I said earlier on that the narration was really good. Well, this recording was done in two parts. The narrator is someone called William Demerit, And I thought he did an absolutely brilliant job of narrating this. I can't remember if I said earlier, um, but his... Lando and Luke impressions are great, and also when he speaks as other characters, you can really hear them be defined. I especially loved his Ochi of Best Student voice, I think it really matched. And I think I said as well that Adam Christopher, he just, he clearly read the comics, because there's so many references to different comics that I wouldn't have anticipated, which I really, really enjoyed, and I just thought it was so well done. So, I think this is going to kind of wrap up my spoiler free thoughts, or at least very mild spoiler thoughts of uh, Shadow of the Sith. So, this is your warning to say, look, I'm now going to talk about the book in its, not necessarily its entirety, but. I'm going to talk about things that will be considered spoilers. Obviously, this is a prequel. You know what happens to Luke. You know what happens to Lando. You know what happens to Ray, And you know what happens to her parents. So there's only a finite amount of things that can actually happen in this book. Which is another reason why I say this book is so good. Because it was generally riveting. Like, I was really excited to read or listen to it. And find out what was going to happen next. Even though I knew the end. Which, that is a really hard thing to do as someone who writes a book that's a prequel. You know, or with characters that we already know what happens to them. So again, Adam Christopher did a stellar job. But now we get into spoiler territory. So, Ochi of Bestoon. He is uh, obviously a character from The Rise of Skywalker. And his role in this is trying to find Rey. He's basically a drunk at this point in time. Uh, There's no Jedi to assassinate because he's a Jedi assassin. That's kind of his speciality. There's no Jedi left to assassinate apart from Luke. And I don't think he wants to assassinate Luke, to be honest. Or if he even could. Uh, And he's just a bit lost. Uh, But he, he basically had his eyes burnt out. Uh, by Palpatine slash Darth Vader in the Darth Vader comics 2020 run and to clarify I've tackled them on my show Comics in Canon so if you want to find out a lot of backstory about Ochi and Bestoon uh, then make sure you go check those out you should be able to search for them or if you go to my YouTube channel uh, youtube.com slash Genuine Chit Chat you should easily be able to find the playlist which is my Darth Vader playlist and it will be the last two entries in that um, so it delves into Ochi and Bestoon and those comics are really good 2020 run of Vader comics by Greg Pak and Ochi went to Exegol and he basically went there with Vader and Palpatine had this gigantic lightsaber crystal there, or kyber crystal rather, like a massive, and the Sith Eternal were like chipping away at it and using it for various things, but Palpatine activated his power at one point and the power was so strong it burnt out Ochi's eyes, and that's why he then has cybernetic eyes in this book and when you see him in The Rise of Skywalker, because perhaps basically burn them out and he wants to return to exegol he's desperate to to get his eyes back and to become whole again in essence and basically for something to do and he gets contacted by one of the sith cultists and says look you need to find the girl and then you will get your way to exegol and the girl being ray now i don't think he fully knows who ray is but you get a bit more information in this book about who ray's dad is dathan so he's a strand cast so it basically means it's a It's a clone that's made from the genetic material of someone else, but it's not meant to be an identical clone. I I think that's what I understand from it. Snoke was also a Strand cast, but obviously Snoke was Force-sensitive, whereas Dathan is a non-Force-sensitive human. Uh, Palps just kind of let him wander about Exegol, and then one of the Sith loyalists felt bad for Dathan never having a life, uh, and this Sith uh, cultist was actually called Dathan. Let Dathan go, because Dathan didn't have a name. He was just called the Abomination, or the Strandcast. So Dathan took the name of the person who saved him to get him off Exegol. And you get a little chapter at the start here at Exegol, and what it was like for Dathan there, and that's really cool. And you do get a chapter to explain like how Dathan and Miramir met each other, Miramir being Ray's mum. And it's really nice, their romance is really cool. But there's a chapter about Lando, and it's, just a, it's a very short chapter. But it's him interacting with his daughter... I think her name is Kadara or Katara. And he she gets taken from him when she's only like two or three years old or something. And this chapter where they just... They, they're eating ice cream and they're running around Lando's cape closet. It was really heartwarming. And it was surprisingly emotional, I'd say. And just seeing Lando be almost like a broken man in this, it's not quite that extreme. But having him really downtrodden and just kind of lost his smile in a way and just meaningless and aimless, it really adds weight to his appearance in The Rise of Skywalker, like it really does and I just want to know more about it I mean there is that Lando series that's apparently coming out, we've not really heard anything else about it, there's some rumblings going on that it would be like Billy D. Williams recounting tales of the Calrissian Chronicles and then Donald Glover playing it out as a young Lando that's kind of the idea of what the show was I think in rumours and rumblings and I think that would be a really cool idea And if that kind of, the the through story of Lando in present day would be him finding his daughter. I think that would be a really cool idea. But, with all of Lando's stuff and his interaction with Luke, I really enjoy it. Like, seeing those two interact and hearing what they kind of think of each other in a way was really interesting. Because they both have a lot of respect for each other, but they just live very different lives. And they hadn't really seen each other since the Battle of Endor and stuff. Or rather, when the Aftermath trilogy takes place and, like, the last remnants of the Empire are somewhat stamped out. After that, they didn't really talk to each other, because why would they? Luke's off being a Jedi, trying to find himself, and then also starts a Jedi Order, while Lando is kind of doing his own thing for a while, and then around the time of Last Shot, which I think is five to ten years after uh, Return of the Jedi, in that book, he then meets someone who's a Twilight girl, and, or Twi'lek woman, rather, and this Twi'lek and him, I think they end up, they're in a relationship together, and I imagine that's who he has the child with. But it never names the, the mother in this. And I think that was intentional. I don't know if they're going to try and do it in the Lando series. I don't know if they just haven't decided who it's going to be yet. And they don't want to say their name and then in the future change it. Because, you know, it, they probably haven't figured that part out yet. But I do really like that element too. Now there's the character called Comat, who I mentioned earlier. And that's the... She's a Sith... She was a Sith loyalist. And she became... Uh... an acolyte of the Sith, she followed the dark side and then Luke allowed her to basically leave when she was kind of on the fence about what she wanted to do with herself Luke then helped guide her to the light and she feels indebted to Luke but she just puts herself into exile she goes on this really, really cool planet I think it's called Polaris where like a Mon Calamari cruiser hit it and it's hyperdrive, core... Kind of malfunctioned and then it irradiated the entirety of the planet and has bleached everything. So basically, nothing can survive there. And so she manages to go on there and create like a stasis field sort of thing so she can survive there. And she lives this calm life by herself and her droid and this big cat that occasionally comes and says hi. And she's just such an interesting character. She's so well rounded. I really like the voice that uh, the narrator, William uh, Demerit, did when voicing her. And one thing she has that's really cool is Luke purified her lightsaber for her, so she has a white lightsaber. And I just love the purification process. I love, you get it in the Ahsoka book, and it gets kind of spoken about a little bit in Rebels, but realistically, or I think it gets spoken in Rebels. It's very glazed over at the moment in canon. You you only know about lightsaber bleeding from it being mentioned in passing, or in like in certain content, or you get to see it in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic miniseries, and the Darth Vader 2017 um, like 25-issue series, both written by Charles Saul. And the uh, Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnson talks about how Ahsoka purified lightsaber crystals. But it doesn't really get mentioned anywhere else that much. In The High Republic, there's a character called Orla Jereny and she finds an old Sith staff with a kyber crystal in and she purifies that, so she has a white blade as well. And it's... I just love it. I want more... I want there to be on-screen lightsaber purification and stuff. And I, I have a suspicion that the Ahsoka series... May have that happen in it, which I would love to see. Love it. Um, So I really like that element. And she's just a really interesting uh, individual, this Comat, And she's just got... I love people brought back. I like redemption stories, but I also like people who've fallen stories. So I really, really like that. And I like that Luke gave her a chance. And this entire time, like, the main antagonist of this book is basically a fellow Acolyte of the Sith who um, Comat knew. I can't remember the person's name. But she basically... gets more and more ingrained into the Sith and the Acolytes and she eventually puts on this mask which is uh, a mask which is owned by a Sith, an ancient Sith Um, and this ancient Sith, he basically killed people with his mask in such a sadistic way, using the Force that the the mask kind of gets tainted and I think he wears the mask while killing people and then his essence kind of gets seeped into the mask and then when people put on the mask, they then somewhat get possessed by him. It's kind of like the Sith mask of Momin, which I think I mentioned earlier on in this, because Lando inter- is interacts with it in the Lando miniseries, that's in the Darth Vader series, and this mask is not dissimilar from that. So it's interesting when Luke is confronted by this Sith acolyte, and he keeps trying to save her. He keeps trying to say, look, take off the mask. You don't need to follow down this dark path. You can do this, you can do that. And he keeps trying to reach out to her, and she's just not having any of it. She just refuses, and he can't redeem her. And it's very nice seeing Luke trying to do this, and just failing and failing and failing to redeem her, because it shows that at this point, he still has hope. So I would be interested to see if anything happens to Luke between Shadow of the Sith and uh, The Force Awakens. Mainly when Kylo Ren's fall... Like what Luke was going through to make him think that potentially igniting his lightsaber and striking down his sleeping nephew in their sleep, sleeping nephew in their sleep, their sleeping nephew, seeing if that would actually, you know, work out. Like how how he kind of fell a bit more, how he kind of became somewhat disillusioned. I don't know. Um, but Komat is a really cool character, is what I was getting at. And there's some cool planets in this, and there's some cool ideas that I like. There's also a, a Sith Lord called Darth Noctus, which is mentioned. And this Acolyte the Sith, the one who gets tainted by this mask, she manages to find this lightsaber there's like a scimitar so it's a curved lightsaber so you ignite it and it's like a almost like a c-shape kind of thing that comes like the letter c that comes out of the lightsaber i'm just saying that because some people may not know what a scimitar is uh it's a, like a bladed weapon um but she has this curved blade bladed lightsaber which is a really cool idea but he's not Luke has never seen a lightsaber like that before, and he's heard of the rumors of Darth Noctis, but he hasn't really heard anything else about her. And I love the Sith intrigue, like I've been listening to the Darth Bane audiobooks recently, which are amazing, written by Drew Carbushin, and they're some of the best Star Wars content I've ever read, I'm on the third book now, and obviously those go into how the Sith kind of disappeared in a way, how they became the Sith in the Rule of Two, how the Sith got exterminated, etc. etc. And they're really, really interesting reads. Uh, really, really good. Very interesting listens as well. And I just love hearing about Sith lore and ancient Jedi stuff and obviously the canon hasn't really tackled that very much yet. I think they're building towards it. They are eventually going there, but it's just going to take a lot of time. I think Star Wars or Lucasfilm, whatever, are going to basically spend the next decade or two slowly going back in content. You know, I'm sure they're going to make a Revan movie at some point or a Knights of the Old Republic movie. I know they're going to do things like that, but yeah, it's... I, I just love the Sith lore. I love hearing about that sort of stuff. And this has a lot in it, which I really appreciate. So I've kind of covered the vast majority of, of things, I think, in this uh, review. I've talked about the plot, I've talked about certain characters, I've talked about some themes and whatnot. There is there is a main uh, antagonist, which is the Sith Eternal, and then this sort of leader of the Sith cult, in a way. And that's cool. But there's one other moment, and this is major spoilers, but there's one moment which I absolutely love, that I did not expect... And there's a moment where Luke talks to the force ghost of Anakin. Luke actually gets stuck in these visions, uh, which is caused by this, uh, the mask thing. He doesn't realise that until towards the end, but he finds out that he was having these visions of Exegol due to this mask thing. And basically, he ends up getting kind of trapped in this vision world and he gets saved by Anakin as a force ghost. And uh, it's just such a cool interaction. They have a fair amount of dialogue. I really, really enjoyed it. And it came out of, didn't come out of nowhere in a bad way. I just really didn't expect it. So I just thought that part as well was incredible. There are loads of different connections in this book that someone could enjoy. There's, I already mentioned, there's the Momin Mask, which as a comic reader is quite a major thing. There's Ochi Bestoon, and he references the time you went to Exegol. He talks about it and stuff, which is in the comics. And then there's also a character called Lena Graff who is mentioned. And Lena Graff is in the Tales to Vader's Castle comics, which I've tackled on uh, Comics and Canon a fair amount. I've done two so far as of recording this. The third one will be due soon. And it's written by Kevin Scott, and Lena Graff is one of the main characters in that, and she's also in the Star Wars Adventures comics, Tales of Wild Space, or something along those lines. And yeah, she is a really interesting character, and she gets mentioned. She knows Luke, she's a friend of Luke's, and lends him a ship at one point in this book. So... To summarise, there's just there's references to led to like legendary sort of stuff. I think he basically makes Revan canon again uh, because Revan's name gets mentioned. There's a bit where lots of names get screamed out on Exegol, and you hear a couple of Sith names, and one of them is Revan. And Revan previously wasn't mentioned in the canon. Bane was in the Star Wars Clone Wars series six series, but no, but the other ancient Sith weren't. So Revan's been canonised because of this book, which is quite a big deal. Um, so there's loads of Sith lore, there's loads of cool Jedi stuff, there's a can-mouse chase that's really satisfying and interesting. It adds weight to the sequel trilogy, especially to The Rise of Skywalker. You get a great Lando story, you get a great Luke story, you get new characters. There's amazing action scenes. It was just so brilliant. This is definitely one of the better of the canon Star Wars books I've read. Definitely one of the best ones. I'd probably say outside of The High Republic, it's the best, along with Lost Stars. It's just brilliant. So... Friends, check this out by Adam Christopher, Shadow of the Sith, narrated by Willem Demerit. Really, really brilliant book for any amount of Star Wars fan. I hugely, hugely recommend it to all of you. But that's going to be enough for me, my friends. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I'm not going to do the usual ending, ramble, rant stuff that I do. uh, But just thank you for listening, and your support is always appreciated. Please share with your friends, talk about it on social media, rate, review, and all that stuff. I appreciate you all listening, and I'll talk to yourselves next week. So, as always, may the Force with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You've just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.